Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspectives, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, second year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, hi Dr. Parks. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, Dr. Parks. And third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Joshua Poole. Hi, Joshua. How you doing, Dr. Parks? And we are also just blessed and thankful that we have a special co-host tonight, Dr. Alan Atkins. He is a second year psychiatry resident. He worked with children in the foster system before attending medical school at Brown University, and he currently leads a research team investigating wilderness therapy as an alternative to mass incarceration. Hi, Alan. Hello. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm here to bless you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're raised in a religious uh, environment, you don't lose it. The religion stays with you. Uh, the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on tonight's show, we're going to talk about the series. It's on uh, Amazon Prime Homecoming. Now, if you have not watched that series, we'd like you to press pause on this uh, podcast if you listen to it at home and go watch it and then come back and listen to this podcast because there will be spoilers. Just warning you. But I guess some people don't care about spoilers, though. uh, Yeah. And those people listen, sit down, get, get something to drink and listen. All right. But wait, but before we I want to talk about something in the news. Um, The president of the United States has been talking about how he aced how he aced Uh, the Montreal assessment. Did he say he had a perfect score? I thought that's what he's saying. I guess. Yeah, that's usually what aced means. But I am like to get probably. I'm sure they didn't tell him the score. Who paid someone to take his SAT? Right. Oh, did that happen? Right. Oh, that was in the in the book that his relative released. Oh. It would be interesting to see if he actually took this test, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment uh, or MOCA, it, with alone, like maybe, uh, and just the doctor. Maybe there was someone else, perhaps helping him. Who knows? And but I, yes, it I is have a never heard anyone test. brag about acing the MOCA. The MOCA is a test that we use to kind of see whether someone is going to need. Um, assistive services or you know whether we can consider yeah really sense of dementia it's a sort of screening for oh something is is really up and this patient's going to need a lot of cognitive help so yeah so you don't talk about this test in terms of of acing it um but alan it sounds like you've you've administered i have not never administered yeah, this I think probably all of us have administered yeah, that, quite yeah. a few We've times. All okay. All okay. All right. Well, then yeah. tell me, tell me, what is your experience with this? It, do you, is it common practice for you to say afterward when someone gets a high score, we have never seen anything <laughs> like this? I can't believe you ace. We that generally mocha. bring them a, a cake afterwards, and we we alert the media. You're going yeah, to so, Mocha so Harvard. Just, let's talk about the the, the the items on this test and what it goes what goes into acing it. Sure. So you need to be able to identify a giraffe by name. You need to be able to. Well, I pointed a picture of a giraffe, and then I asked. Not you, the giraffe's first name, just like. Just like giraffe. what animal? You don't is need this? to know him, then, Mr. Giraffe. Right, you don't need or, to. Yeah, you don't need to know anything about the giraffe or his personal life. If you're able to tell me that it is giraffe, that would be acing good. that item. Got it. Okay. So Donald Trump, I I would be. Able, I'm proud to have a president who knows what a giraffe is. 
Um, he also, it's, you also have to know, I think, what a lion is. Lion, um, rhinoceros, giraffe. You have to be able to you draw to a box. Draw a clock. Mm. Tell what ten past eleven is. Yeah, and draw okay. draw a box like the like the three D box that you have to. That's like can be pretty challenging if you're moving from second to third grade. Yeah, they actually have a test clock, the clock face drawing kind of right. test. They, they, it seems like they borrowed from that. I'm sorry, keep keep going. Because let me just say that that once people said this, like, oh, you just have to identify an animal, and then, and, but he said, but the five, the last five questions were really hard. That's what he said. The last said five questions Wall. were essentially like you have to be able to repeat the phrase "velvet red face church," something like that. You have yeah. to repeat them back, and then you have to repeat them back five minutes later. So it's kind of a test of memory. So like the mocha is actually pretty. In, it's an elegant test because it. It's a way to, it pinpoints each of the higher cognitive functions, and it's relatively sensitive for picking up deficits in there. However, it should be stated that the only reason you'd ever give a mocha is if you suspected that there was cognitive impairment or somebody was on the way to dementia. So every human being that is alive and takes this test in the language that they were raised in or whatever should get a perfect score unless they have cognitive impairment. So, like, acing this test says, congrats, I'm a normal person. I have the regular human brain. Or but within think, a few points of the, of the perfect right. score, we should say that. They say that the average is, like, 26, 27. However, that average is mm. given for people who are having suspected, you know, cognitive impairment. Right. So if you were to give it to every American citizen, just outright, I doubt that that would be... Probably darn high. Yeah, it looks yeah. like... A different just to add up to that it looks at different functions like Joshua was saying orientation short-term memory and ability to uh, have a delayed recall executive functioning language abilities abstraction the animal naming is one of the ones that we were talking about which in actually it's kind of funny because if it's the Spanish person you will see different animals I don't know why. oh interesting That's reason Cute. and then looks at attention in that clock drawing test which is looks at the I guess the uh, visual and spatial relationship and, and other uh, possible impairments as well. And the, the clock drawing is a very special one that, that we like in medicine because it betrays things like whether you've had a stroke to certain lobes of your brain that deal with spatial processing and you can see very clearly a phenomenon called neglect when you do the clock drawing, you can also see people's frontal lobe problems if they don't plan correctly and they put all the numbers of the clock in the first little like 50 degrees of the rounding of the circle and they don't get all the way around because they've run out of numbers. So there's a lot you can see there and there's a lot of ways you can read into it, but it's not a test of like, oh, you did well on this. You are a really, really high functioning person who should be president. Yeah, that's good that we have settled that issue and it's interesting, I think one of the most interesting things is that there was no one close to him to tell him these things. Like, hey, don't brag about this test. This is just to make sure that you, are, you do not have dementia. This is not one of those tests to brag about. Somebody should have clarified, this is not an intelligence test. Right, right. Which he kind of, yeah, he's kind of uh, inferring like that a, it is. his staff has enough fires to put out rather than worry <laughs> about this. It seemed brag, low, on right? the, low on the total. <laughs> Yeah, let's see the bounty on uh, um, U.S. soldiers. That should be at least somewhere in there, uh, right? Yeah, no, I agree with that. All right, so let's move to um, talking about homecoming. Who, who wants to give a nice synopsis first of all? Just for the for the folks that say, "Look, I just want to listen okay. to this thing." Uh, fine, okay. spoiler, I, I'm I fine guess, with but I could give one. Okay, so it's a okay. dance. 
um, during your maybe junior, senior <laughs> year, where they, they often elect. It's, it's, very, it's very, sort of like a fascist royal idea where, you know, I was actually homecoming prince my junior year. Oh, oh my wow. God. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Just to, just I didn't have a belated, so I worked. Congratulations. He, he wanted to, he wanted he wanted to, to throw out a little, out. yeah. Was just that so a, that everybody's uh, aware, I was once handsome, oh and God. I think that's valuable. Oh. <laughs> that was that was a. Um, Glad you slipped that a, in. A, a, the thing we were talking about earlier. Virtue a quality statement. A virtual. A virtue. Virtue. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. The virtue signaling. That's right. Yeah. That's, okay, that's so so a synopsis on homecoming. Basically, <laughs> homecoming is one of those narratives where it employs the. Uh, like trope of uh, of an unreliable narrator. There are two timelines going on. One timeline is in the present tense, where this woman who works at this kind of like rundown diner th- situation in Florida, um, she uh, can't remember her past. And then one day, someone comes knocking and is interrogating her about the job she used to work at. So this pushes along the plot in this present day um, timeline of her trying to figure out what happened to her. Now, the other timeline is in the past where she is the head like, designer of a study and also lead therapist of this place called Homecoming, where these... Uh, recently um discharged or yeah discharge what is the word for like vet yeah discharged discharged, thank you discharged um soldiers volunteer to participate in this program that is um sold to them as a basically like a rehabilitation sort of easing into like a halfway house for them to ease into civilian life um, but in actuality, what they don't know is that um, they're they're being tested on a medication that um, this company, this corporation called Geist, uh, is studying, which they hope to not just treat but cure is what they say. Not just treat but cure PTSD, meaning that they will um, wipe away the traumatic memory um, thereby curing them of all the sequelae, the psychiatric sequelae that comes from the traumatic memory. Um, And later you find out, and Heidi similarly also finds out, that this is all in an effort to redeploy these veterans. Um, So, yeah, there's there's these two timelines going on, and that's basically what it's about. I don't know. Did I leave anything out? No, that was a good synopsis. you know, it's I, 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 the biggest thing is, that, of course, the ethical issue of it. And I was thinking we could also just talk about medications that you all use for PTSD. And there are there sure. are studies about you know how uh, medications that do seem to affect your memory and and then PTSD um, symptoms. But um, but yeah, I mean, um, I I think it was really interesting that um, they did you know Geist administered this medication through the food involuntarily and it, it did they did show the department of defense was not aware of it until later but then when they were aware that it was effective they quickly forgave them and they were all down with it no i think the department of defense was aware right but they tried to hide it like when the when thomas carrasco's supervisor finds out that he is going to escalate the complaint she already knows about it and so she warns 
Geist about it. Remember? So I think well, the were there certain defense, people that were known were were knowledgeable about it, right? And certain yeah. people were not. Yeah. Yes. That's how I, I kind of thought. Yeah, that there were some of the assigned people to doing it, and because because then 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 there was a part where they said, wait, wait, what? They they were kind of like a recognition, like how far did you go with that? You know, and was it voluntary or involuntary? There was that that kind of issue. So there's that kind of ethical um, problem. But yeah, when it when it when it was effective, and then it would yeah it would then lead possibly lead to redeployment. Now the the VA is at the forefront of just the cutting edge of different kinds of psychological treatments and psychiatric treatments to manage PTSD for the purpose of redeployment. I mean, you know, so if you can, and also, you know, just to, just to help people, you know, so if you can, you know, and really when you look at the statistics, there's, it, it's somewhere between 17, 25% of folks have PTSD of, re, of returning vets and about 42% in some studies need some sort of psychological treatment after combat. So that's huge. I feel like that, that's mind blowing to me. How many, what percentage of vets need psychological treatment? So, you know, all voluntary army makes kind of, and military, so it makes kind of sense that, you know, if you can help folks and then they do want to go back, well, then that's their option to do that. So it's somewhat believable. What now? Uh, this was like a non-BA private or corporation, right? That yeah, that's how they got away with it. it a contract agency. Yeah. It was a yeah. contractor, right? So I guess that's part of also plotting to the how moral or not was this, and is that the reason why they were doing it that way, right? To try to avoid, you know, like this, I guess, concerns, complaints, and if people maybe realize of this or not. Um, and I guess if we talk about the main one of the main characters from the first se- uh, season uh, did you watch both seasons? just one and then I read oh, okay, the second yeah. one but then the first one is Julia Roberts because actually yeah. I had no idea she's she's exactly you know I, I'm not I knew nothing about this show until I you know started watching and I was kind of like Josh it's like this you know reunion that you do in high school and college or something like that because that seems to be also popping in Netflix but Anyways, I realized it was, you know, Julia Roberts. I said, oh, cool. You know, I'm going to uh, pay more attention to it. So anyways, I, I, like we were talking before, she wasn't aware of this. She thought that she was going to do, you know, uh, a good thing for, for the vets coming back to try to transition them back to a functional life. But at the end of the day, that wasn't, that wasn't what happened. And the main, I guess, the, the boss, Colleen, he knew about it and the people above that, but not her. She was just like, I guess, collateral damage. I'm going to ask um, a kind of a hypothetical. Let's say that this was this was well known that this um, medication from this plant. There's like there's like the storyline of the the head of Geist is is like this you know botanist or whatever. Um, what what if it's like in full knowledge you can take it if you want to? Do you feel it's ethical that this will yes it will delete your memory for let's say like the, for the last year? Do you feel like that's an ethical? Uh, um, that you can ethically use that medication. Okay, go ahead. Informed consent or not? Like, kind of like this situation? You know, just, like, you know up front. Yeah. You know up front that this is going to happen and all that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's... A year of your life gone. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's that simple because, like, yeah, you can... Then people can choose to erase their memories on what they want or not, right? And I don't I, that that's when we get into conflict of like the values and moral and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll say it's, it's hard to say, but possibly not. I'm I'm of the mind that it 
that it is okay. Um, I think this this exact topic was explored in the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless mm-hmm, Mind, mm-hmm. which was a, just a really a great, great, interesting yeah, it was movie. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, um, really good. Wait, yeah, you've seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. You've seen that? <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. Alan's seen a movie? That's yeah. one oh of the movies you can count on one hand, right? Um, okay. yeah, it's, a, it's a very good movie. Oh, all right, all right. But it's yeah, it's an it's an excellent movie, and um, I think it's one of the I think the cough one of the Kaufmans or no, yeah no, some someone wrote it, obviously. Anyway, they explore the idea that you know you can erase memories and whether or not you should, and I think if people know that they're al- like, hey, this is what's going to happen, I don't I don't know if that's a problem because like, for I agree. instance, like when, when you give somebody um, Ambien. One of the premier problems of that is synambulism, which is, you know, walking at night and people will get in cars fully asleep and go driving. And it's like, we tell you that this is a thing. You can also suffer memory loss from taking benzodiazepines. Like, hey, this is kind of a thing that can happen here. Okay. Um, and if you still okay. want to do that, that's your prerogative. To choose to have intentional memory loss, I think, could could be useful for certain people. We don't know how that would, whether the loss of the explicit memory would actually impact the symptoms that they're receiving based on the way the memory sort of wired the connection between the fear-oriented parts of their brain and, and their arousal and their decision-making. But I think it, it would be something that, that, that could be a part of our armamentarium if used in sort of a, an enhanced informed consent kind of way where maybe we could consider it in the same way that, you know, maybe the patient is required to go through an evaluation with maybe like 10 therapy sessions with a trained therapist about it and, and, and has to kind of give a, a reason, a convincing reason to the therapist that they've thought this through and this memory is they've tried other techniques first, the physician has to prescribe it, and then maybe there's a waiting period, and after that it could be administered and then studied like you know how the patients who do it how are their outcomes you know does it affect suicide rate does it because because these in certain patients you're talking about yes this might be a dangerous thing but those patients already have such difficult lives due to past trauma that their their suicide rates are higher their outcomes are harder so i think that the ethical questions brought up in the show are one, when they're trying to change the design of the study mid-study, that's not okay. When it involves people, the IRB would have problems with that. The other issue that I saw was their use of the placebo was was incorrect. Um, They used a placebo pill to avoid non-compliance. So they snuck the actual medication into the participants' food and they tricked them with this pill so that if anyone didn't want to take the medication, they would cheek the pill but still eat the food. So they were still getting the medication. That is also unethical. That's pretty darn ethical, yeah. That's pretty and darn then the ethical. other thing was that even though they found negative unforeseen effects from the medication, they still went through with the study. Um, you really have to, like, if there are studies that are leading to significant negative effects, the studies actually get stopped. Here's, now, here's a question I have about yeah. the show. Do they explore, like, is it basically this is wrong, here's the exposition of why this is wrong, and that's where the intrigue and the drama comes from in the show? Or is it, is this wrong? Like, is there were there patients who had a positive reaction to the, to the treatment, that they were like, I'm happier, my life's better as a result? 
I think it's more the question of Heidi's ability to cope with her role in what happened. I think that's the main question. So Heidi, the lead psychi- the lead therapist, not a psychiatrist, is a social worker. Um, the lead therapist and the person who designed the study, this fo- she's the protagonist. And this follows her as she is designing the study. She's putting her whole heart into it, even sacrificing her own relationship um, because she believes so strongly in this study. And then as she finds that the people who have hired her aren't interested in the same thing that she is interested in um, and are willing to, you know, um, basically leave these vets in the lurch, uh, she begins to grapple with, uh, with kind of an existential crisis, right? What do you guys think? Well, before we answer that question, I just want to say you're listening to Let's Get Psyched. We're talking about the series Homecoming on Amazon Prime. Um, and we're, you just asked a question, Tosha. Sorry I had to interrupt you, but you just asked. Go ahead, answer it, whoever wants to grab that one. I, and hearing, I'm sorry, did I derail people? <laughs> I, I didn't see the show. I think I agree with, with, with exactly what Tosha said and Joshua. Um, I think uh, the fact that um, the study, uh, the way that the study was done was not uh, uh, what it was supposed to be done in terms of like, I, I don't think the veterans knew what was coming up. I don't think they knew they were trying to get, you know, redeploy. Um, and at the end of the day, maybe is if this, med- going back to what we were saying before, if this medication, uh, it's helpful in erasing traumatic memories and people with trauma, then that could be maybe an option. But the way they put it in this um, this thriller, it's more of like the wrong way to do to obtain. It's the wrong way to do it. You know, trying to obtain the data. They're trying to uh, probably it's a money matters as well. But they don't really care about the bets. It's just like a business for them, and that's when think, the yeah. conflict comes for Heidi. Exactly, the business. So I think it's really painting this, like, I think it's illustrating this idea that institutions, even government institutions, corporations like Geist, which it, the lay people know as making home products like soap and, and things like that, can take advantage of people for, you know, secondary gain, for profit. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. it, one of the illustrations of this, like, moral quandary that Heidi goes through this growth and development Heidi goes through it it really comes is really pointed out when Mrs. Morisot who is Walter's mom calls Heidi out she goes to homecoming and says if you don't know what's going on you're like you're one of these pawns basically you're getting played just as much like you can't honestly think that you're helping these people and another part where i felt this was underlined was in the end i think it's like the last episode or so they zoom in on the present timeline they zoom in on heidi's name tag when she throws her apron down at fat morgan's her name her name tag is in the shape of a fish and i don't know if you guys really remember that fish tank but i think it was initially i thought it was symbolic of the participants in the study but then i realized i think it's also meaning to to symbolize heidi as well as being like one of these fish who are basically like kept in the dark and almost treated as like you know subjects and and um 
not having their own agency. Hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Um, let, I'm I'm gonna can I can I go back a little bit to if if this was if there was informed consent would this be an ethical medication? Because here's the thing: if you deleted a year of time, I feel like it would almost be impossible for the person. At, the, at, at having experienced that to not want to know what happened during that year and why they wanted it deleted and they're gonna know and so that's you, almost a re-trauma you know. I have a I actually have a problem with the ethical medication description because I don't think a medication itself can be ethical or unethical right. I think it's our use of medications no that's what, I, that's what I'm saying no that's what I'm saying well, the, the are... medication is the medication it's a substance but I'm just talking about the ethical use of it let me let me just finish and, it so so you if you are giving this medication you're going to have this it's almost impossible to not have this re-traumatizing effect and also what if they did something immoral or terrible they shot up some village or something and then they that was their PTSD and so then you're going to delete that memory so now there's no learning potentially and then when they find out what's going to happen you know i mean and also what if they were um a parent so then they come back and they don't know their kids now they have no knowledge of who they are and so that you know daddy who you know they, that's missing I, there's yeah, a lot I, I, of i think there would have to be some safeguarding i guess um and yeah. who gets the medication uh, to see if it would cause damage to other to to uh what is it uh, What's the word? To patients? Mm. I can't think of the word. I'm sorry. I'm having a brain fart. So, so well, no, I, all medication... I'm sorry, Dr. Park. No, no, no. Go, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, the, the there was a bioethics um, uh, report on this in 2003. And the way they specifically mentioned this, like if there's a medication that it works by deleting memory, it's, oh, is it ethical? It well, so... Uh, so uh, go for it. Well, I mean, just that um, memory is a, an, an integral part of someone's identity and self, and so that it, it, it's unethical to uh, because it's such an integral. Your memory is a part of yourself to to do that kind of thing. Hmm. So I I think every medication has risks and benefits and alternatives, right? And and if the risks outweigh the benefits, the medication is taken off the market, or at least you would hope so. And, I think this brings me to something I, I think is quite relevant here, which is the drug Amatol, which was originally used to send uh, soldiers back to war after they had what was called shell shock at the time, which would now be the equivalent of PTSD. And it sort of did that. It dissociated people enough that they could kind of uh, forget about that, but it had side effects that made people basically ineffective soldiers afterwards. And it was then used in the psychiatry world and in the criminal justice world for quite a while um, and became a really popular drug of abuse in the 80s uh, until, I think in the 80s, until um, it was finally taken off the market and largely replaced by benzodiazepines. Um, But there was a drug that I think have the same application and some of the same effects to the one that we're discussing. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, really, they've been looking at the research. They've, if you take opiates, um, ketamine, if you take it um, um, very soon after the trauma, it does reduce your PTSD. Now, it's interesting that benzodiazepines maybe made right, it ketamine worse. Ketamine isn't an opiate, though. 
I think well, opiates and, and or ketamine. Oh, got it. The other yeah, thing then, that um, was shown was if you stay up for eight, at least eight hours after the traumatic event, you're less likely to um, experience PTSD. Well, wasn't there some data also about using beta blockers after after traumatic events so that basically you decrease sort of the biological hyper alert uh, response so that the memory is not consolidated as as fearful as it was before but now, i don't is remember is a, a beta blocker yes yeah okay so yeah i did see that that um in fact i just i, I right before the show i looked at a study that um reviewed again because it, the, the studies have been equi- a little bit equivocal they're, they're both ways but According to this review, a very recent review, they, they thought it was good to use propanolol to moderate the fear-inducing effect over time combined with um, like extinction, extinction kind of uh, psychological treatments. And that, they found that was helpful. Because you're right. Yeah, when, when memories reconsolidate, you take propanolol and it does seem to interfere with some of these fear memories and, and, and then making your PTSD not as severe. Um, propranolol is also used before trauma-focused therapy to help uh, make it a little bit easier to discuss the trauma and therapy. But I also want to say, um, I've said multiple times on the show that there aren't enough pop culture references of PTSD. And I think this show does an excellent job of depe- depicting PTSD, specifically in veterans, because I saw so many... Um, so so much of my veteran patients in these participants like a lot of the dialogue that they had with each other mimicked the internal dialogue that i've seen in my patients wow that is really good yeah it was a very well directed well acted series y'all should um um watch it um now the aurora colorado police use ketamine during arrests occasionally as a um, as a uh, um, kind of a, um, a sedative. Now, if that reduces um, PTSD, is that an ethical use of that medication that now they're, gonna, they're not going to have a tra- as a traumatic response or PTSD later, and so they won't sue the police or they won't have PTSD? Do you feel like that, if, if that is known and that's the reason you're using it, do you feel like that's ethical? Not without informed consent. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that sounds like they're giving it to them just like without consent, yeah. All right, and that will do it for us uh, here on Let's Get Psyched. We talked we talked about um, the series Homecoming on Amazon Prime and the ethical quandaries that it brings up. Thank you, our co-host, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. Alan Atkins, our special uh, guest host, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Joshua Poole. If you have comments or suggestions or uh, or questions, or um, you can call, you can um, write to us by email on Get Psyched on KUCR at gmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. You can also listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.